I spent a good deal of time last night extracting porcupine quills from the snout of my very unhappy and non-compliant dog. It was a first-time experience for everyone involved and hopefully the last. And I know that it's supposedly just a myth that porcupines don't actually shoot their quills, but I have painful, albeit circumstantial, evidence to the contrary. I mean, they were really in there. And so today I'm here to spread the rumor that those foul beasts not only shoot their quills at hapless would-be friends, but that the military is looking into porcupine projectiles as part of a new ballistics program. Good evening, it's Monday, the 20th of April, 2009, and it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. A Game of Catch by Richard Wilbur Monk and Glenny were playing catch on the side lawn of the firehouse when Sho caught sight of them. They were good at it for seventh graders, as anyone could see right away. Monk, wearing a catcher's mitt, would lean easily sideways and back, with one leg lifted and his throwing hand almost down to the grass, and then lob the white ball straight up into the sunlight. Glenny would shield his eyes with his left hand, and, just as the ball fell past him, snag it with a little dart of his glove. Then he would burn the ball straight toward Monk, and it would spank into the round mitt and sit like a still-life apple on a plate until Monk flipped it over into his right hand and, with a negligent flick of his hanging arm, give Glenny a fast grounder. They were going on and on like that, in a kind of slow, mannered, luxurious dance in the sun, their faces perfectly blank and entranced, when Glenny noticed Sho dawdling along the f- other side of the street, and called hello to him. Sho crossed over and stood at the front edge of the lawn, near an apple tree, watching. "'Got your glove?' asked Glenny after a time. Sho obviously hadn't. "'You could give me some easy grounders,' said Sho. "'But don't burn em. "'All right,' Glenny said. "'He moved off a little, so the three of them formed a triangle, "'and they passed the ball around for about five minutes, "'Monk tossing easy grounders to Sho, Sho throwing to Glenny, "'and Glenny burning them in to Monk.' After a while, Monk began to throw them back to Glenny once or twice before he let Sho have his grounder, and finally Monk gave Sho a fast, bumpy grounder that hopped over his shoulder and went into the break on the other side of the street. "'Not so hard!' called Sho as he ran across to get it. "'You should have had it!' Monk shouted." It took Sho a little while to find the ball among the ferns and dead leaves, and when he saw it, he grabbed it up and threw it toward Glenny. 
It struck the trunk of the apple tree, bounced back at an angle, and rolled steadily and stupidly onto the cement apron in front of the firehouse where one of the trucks was parked. Show ran hard and stopped it just before it rolled under the truck, and this time he carried it back to his former position on the lawn and threw it carefully to Glenny. I got an idea, said Glenny. Why don't Monk and I catch for five minutes more, and then you can borrow one of our gloves? That's all right with me, said Monk. He sopped his fist into his mitt and Glenny burned one in. All right, Sho said, and went over and sat under the tree. There, in the shade, he watched them resume their skilful play. They threw lazily fast or lazily slow, high, low, or wide, and always handsomely, their expressions serene, changeless, and forgetful. When Monk missed a low backhand catch, he walked indolently after the ball and, hardly even looking, flung it sidearm for an imaginary put-out. After a good while of this, Sho said, "'Isn't it five minutes yet?' "'One minute to go,' said Monk, with a fraction of a grin. Sho stood up and watched the ball slap back and forth for several minutes more, and then he turned and pulled himself up onto the crotch of the tree. "'Where are you going?' Monk asked. "'Just up the tree,' Sho said. "'I guess he doesn't want to catch,' said Monk. Sho went up and up through the fat, light grey branches until they grew slender and bright, and gave under him. He found a place where several supple branches were knit to make a dangerous chair, and sat there with his head coming out of the leaves into the sunlight. He could see the other two boys down below, the ball going back and forth between them as if they were bowling on the grass, and Glenny's crew-cut head looking like a sea urchin. I found a wonderful seat up here, Sho said loudly. If I don't fall out. Monk and Glenny didn't look up or comment, and he began jouncing gently in his chair of branches and singing, Yo ho, heave ho, in an exaggerated way. You know what, Monk? he announced in a few moments. I can make you two guys do anything I want. Catch that ball, Monk. Now you catch it, Glenny. I was going to catch it anyway, Monk suddenly said. You're not making anybody do anything when they're already going to do it anyway. I made you say what you just said, Sho replied joyfully. No, you didn't said Monk, still throwing and catching, but now less serenely absorbed in the game. "'That's what I wanted you to say,' Sho said. The ball bounded off the rim of Monk's mitt and ploughed into a gladiolus bed beside the firehouse, and Monk ran to go and get it, while Sho jounced in his treetop and sang, 
I wanted you to miss that. Anything you do is what I wanted you to do. Let's quit for a minute, Glenny suggested. We might as well until the peanut gallery shuts up, Monk said. They went over and sat cross-legged in the shade of the tree. Sho looked down between his legs and saw them on the dim, spotty ground, saying nothing to one another. Glenny soon began abstractedly spinning his glove between his palms. Monk pulled his nose and started out across the lawn. "'I want you to mess around with your nose, Monk,' said Sho, giggling. Monk withdrew his hand from his face. "'Do that with your glove, Glenny,' Sho persisted. "'Monk!' I want you to pull up hunks of grass and chew on it. Glenny looked up and saw a self-delighted, intense face staring down at him through the leaves. Stop being a dope and come down and we'll catch for a few minutes, he said. Sho hesitated and then said in a tentatively mocking voice, That's what I wanted you to say. All right, then, nuts to you, said Glenny. Why don't you keep quiet and stop bothering people? Monk asked. I made you say that, Sho said, softly. Shut up, Monk said. I made you say that, and I want you to be standing there looking sore, and I want you to climb up the tree. I'm making you do it. Monk was scrambling up through the branches, awkward in his haste and getting snapped on twigs. His face was furious and foolish, and he kept telling Sho to shut up, shut up, shut up, while the other's exuberant and panicky voice poured down upon his head. Now you shut up or you'll be sorry, Monk said, breathing hard as he reached up and threatened to shake the cradle of slight branches in which Sho was sitting. I want, Sho screamed as he fell. Two lower branches broke his rustling, cracking fall, but he landed on his back with a deep thud and lay still with a strangled look on his face and his eyes clenched. Glenny knelt down and asked breathlessly, Are you okay, Sho? Are you okay? While Monk swung down through the leaves, crying that honestly he hadn't even touched him, the crazy guy just let go. Sho doubled up and turned over on his right side, and now both the other boys knelt beside him, pawing at his shoulder and begging to know how he was. Then Sho rolled away from them and sat partly up, still struggling to get his wind but forcing a species of smile onto his face. I'm sorry, Sho, Monk said. I didn't mean to make you fool. Sho's voice came out weak and gravelly in gasps. I meant you to do it. You had to. You can't do anything unless I want you to.
Glenny and Monk looked helplessly at him as he sat there, breathing a bit more easily and smiling fixedly with tears in his eyes. Then they picked up their gloves and the ball, walked over to the street and went slowly down the sidewalk, Monk punching his fist into his mitt, Glenny juggling the ball between glove and hand. From under the apple tree, Sho, still bent over a little for lack of breath, croaked after them in triumph and misery. I want you to do whatever you're going to do for the whole rest of your life.